God Almighty, it's the Sweat Equity Podcast coming to you from Cigar City Studios in the Toco Works office. I'm your host, Law Smith. Uh, this audio might sound weird because we tried to do a Skype call. I dick something up. Um, I'm not sure. So my voice might be pretty low. Hers might be pretty high. I talk a lot in the beginning. She talks a lot towards the end when I stop yapping my gums. Um, anyway... Uh, Susan Lindner, 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 uh, is the CEO of Emerging Media and has a crazy interesting life. Uh, we get, it gets pretty heavy. She's got some stories about where she's, uh, kind of been and how she got to be the CEO of her own PR company. And, you know, we talk about PR doesn't really just stop at press releases or being a publicist or any of that so uh enjoy have fun subscribe rate review that's the cheat code any college football fans out there we're starting the triple option pretty soon so subscribe to that as well on itunes pod bay your mom's house wherever you get a podcast sound good good How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I am awesome. God, this angle looks bad. I can see myself on the Skype video, and it's always like I try to put it on some books so you don't get the you know where you take a selfie where you want to take it overhead. Um, I always have the bad angle because I'm going from the bottom up. Video. <laughs> no, no, Is you don't that... adjust yours. I wasn't <laughs> you, but now I made you all uh, self-conscious about it. So. <laughs> No worries. Um, no, I just I, I can see my little screen, you know, where you can see yourself, the little yeah. uh, TV in the TV. Um, and so, what's it called? Uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, that's what I look like on the other side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank God we don't have mirrors following us around all day, right? We, I don't know how hairdressers do it. <laughs> well, I mean, I used to be in that industry, and uh, they'll tell you. They'll, they'll actually not, I didn't cut hair, but, uh, I, I worked for a company called Sola Salons, which basically enabled, uh, salon, um, salon professionals is what they call it, mostly stylists to have their own hair salon where mm. you see this with a, like a, we work kind of office. Oh, so same kind of idea. Like take the overhead out of having your own business, but is a little more involved if you wanted, if you needed help from like the general manager. I don't know if it's up in New York. Um, I'm not familiar with it. it, it it's it's uh, you're in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, it it's uh, a concept that's it's a little tough to do in in New York. It's more of that suburban um, suburban sprawl with a lot of retail centers and stuff. But it's a it's a great company. If you if anybody's listening to this episode in the beginning of this, where you can go back and listen to the episode with Jenny Wolf, who's the uh, 
marketing director. Um, she's around my age, I think. I'm 32. I think she's around that age. So um, she has an interesting story about how she got to that position there in Denver and, um, you know, how Sola is really one of these things that's enabled a lot of women, like 5,000, 6,000 women to have their own business. So that's kind of cool. Um, but I'll, I want to hear about you. You're, it, behind you looks like, I can't tell if that's Central Park. My eyes aren't too good. But, <laughs> but there's definitely some kind of park. There's a tree behind you, which makes me think you're not in New York City right now. That's right. That's right. So I am. I live about 30 miles north of New York City in a beautiful um, town along the Hudson River called Nyack, New York. And this is the glorious view out the back of um, Memorial Park, our park right on the riverfront. So I'm just um, actually in a, a friend's office today and thought this might be a relaxing place to be instead of trekking into Manhattan today. Yeah, it looks chill. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, why, why go into New York every day in the city if you don't really need to? I mean, it's fun for sure, mm -hmm. but it's still taxing. Like I can't, I lived in LA and I could like just the whole like just getting around, slogging around and having like having a backpack or some kind of bag of like three different kinds of uh, like a tire in case I get stuck and you know, I got to like go to a meeting, but I sweated through this shirt cause I was in East LA or like if I was in New York, I used to sweat so bad in the subway in the summer. Um, that is an occupational hazard. No doubt. And be like, well, I guess I'll take like five pairs of clothes with me at all times and figure out like, in a rucksack or something. Um, yeah, I need to get up to Nyack. They got a good uh, comedy club. So, I'm trying to figure out how to get up that way. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you do stand-up? Yeah, so, you, so your, uh, your employee gave you a lot of info about me, huh? Um, <laughs> well, that is a piece that she did not share, but I, um, I, I, I... I didn't give her too much. She's been very... <laughs> uh, Kayla, who put us together, she's been very good, and actually, she probably gave me your info, and I just did the thing where I was like, oh, I'll look at it later, and then... I can't find it right before we start, but um, <laughs> she's been on top of it, and I may have not told her about what you know what I'm about because it feels weird to be like here's here's a little about me. Um, I figured if she wanted to know, she'd just listen to the podcast. So yeah, I do stand up. I'm a small medium business consultant. We're out of Tampa, Florida, but we have clients that are um, you know about about a third of our clients are outside the Tampa Bay area. So. Um, you know, I'm sure you, you can relate in the PR world that you're kind of, you kind of have to be omnipresent anyway. So literally you could be in, uh, West Nyack or you could be in uh, Duluth, Minnesota, or it doesn't matter as long as you have internet really. Um, so what would you say to the fact that I have performed in that comedy club that you want to perform in, in West Nyack? I, I haven't yet. I want to get there. My, uh, my good buddy, Sam Tripoli is from kind of that area. And so I've been saying, Hey, let me go open for you and we'll have a fun weekend and, uh, go over, get drunk and go over app ideas. Um, uh, what, what were you, what were you doing there? Teaching, uh, teaching? I was doing stand up. Oh, were you? Okay. <laughs> are you dabbling in it or are you are you wanting to do it for realsies or are you uh what's what's the sitch what's going on yes so um when i turned 45 um i decided that i was going to do things that absolutely terrified me mm. 
And so um, I set off on a year of trying to manage all the things that terrified me. So one of those was um, riding a horse. I got on a horse. Um, I got thrown off that horse. I got back on that horse. Wow. Okay. Uh, my, my head missed a boulder by about that much. <laughs> but um, it wasn't Rusty's fault. I don't blame Rusty. I'm sure he was a lovely pony. Um, I then, I have a huge fear of heights. I went on Colorado's longest, tallest zip line. And um, I learned that when you're traveling between two mountains, no one can hear you scream at the top of your lungs. And those are five contiguous zip lines that go one after the other as you get down the mountain. I'm um, thinking about that. Yeah. yeah, each one more terrifying than the next. But I will say by the time I got to number five, I was actually enjoying the view. So that was a plus. And then the last thing that scared the crap out of me was stand-up comedy. And so my husband enrolled me in a six-week class. Mm-hmm. Um, to learn how to write six minutes and get up and perform it in front of more than a hundred people. And that was at Levity Live, the comic, the club that you talked about. That's the club, Levity, Levity Live, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's owned by Comedy Central. It's a great club. I go probably once a month to see uh, comedians there. Oh, well, if, you ever, if you're ever like, hey, should I go see this guy? Just email me. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. Gal. Um, uh, so, how much have you been are you in the class you got up already i got up which was fantastic it was absolutely terrifying i was just happy to power through the six minutes um but something about it was really energizing and really enlivening and i just wanted to keep doing it and um so i took a class in the city with Corey kahane who's now on america's got talent she writes for colbert she um was one of my teachers on the writing side and then uh, took an improv class and got up and did stand up at Gotham Comedy Club in Manhattan. Oh, nice, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chelsea District. Um, that that club's awesome. I love that club. Uh, I've done that a handful of times, and that's always. Uh, I don't know. There's there's to me it has some kind of like weird like, uh, you know, um, upper echelon kind of experience there. Maybe that's just because I'm from Tampa, and you know any. Any big New York club feels like, oh, this is kind of a big deal. But it's, you know, when you break it down, I don't know. Maybe I'm, uh, I can go from like making it awesome and, uh, and making it uh, a huge out of uh, out of body experience, and then quickly in another sentence just minimize it and be like, eh, it's not a big deal. <laughs> I've seen so many of my heroes on that stage, my comedy heroes like uh, Ralphie May or um, Roseanne Barr or Louis Black. So, like to be able to just even step on that stage is um, is such a rush. That's awesome. So, are you going to continue <laughs> doing it? Do you have the bug, or are you um, just like I got it, I did it? Um, kind of like the zip line. I don't need to like do the ultra zip line of Costa Rica. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Like, is there, or is it like a thing? I th- I tell everybody, um, take an improv class. It's going to help business. Um, it's the best thing I ever did, like, for my life. Um, I took a groundlings class when I lived in L.A. Because using this skill right now, we're talking right now, and I'm trying to, you want to yes and everything, and you want to keep the conversation moving a little bit sometimes. So, what I used to dread was going to like cocktail parties, and now I don't dread them anymore because it's not. I'll I'll find something fun about it. Like, all right, I'm gonna see if I can kind of profile this guy before I talk to him and see what he's about, and then kind of make a game of it. So, I don't know if you've had that similar experience with improv, but 
you got any comedy career future or are you just uh you doing it just i gotta get over this this hump yeah i don't i think i'd love to continue doing it so i've written some stuff it's much more um ballsy than the stuff I did to first stand up and um, there's a lot of political humor in it and I'd love to see how some of those jokes go over so you know trying to carve out the time between being an entrepreneur being a speaker and then you know actually practicing this and getting it really good is um, it's kind of time and it's kind of terror <laughs> I think are probably the two things holding me back from doing it more often yeah I mean I um, we I've had to pull back from doing a lot of gigs uh, this year, this last like year and a half, basically, because I want to focus on this business. We're about to have our first kid in a little bit. And so I was congratulations. Like, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if it's mine. Uh, but like, um, one of those things is like, it's just a time thing and you have to get your at bats. I try to compare it to golf or baseball or whatever. Right. Like you have to have time set into it or else like, you can get good, you can be naturally good, but most people aren't. There's very few people that are Eddie Murphy, and that go, I mean, you can make that analogy in almost everything. Basically, there's some people who are like Marcus Limonis on The Prophet, you know, and just have that mind that's just always thinking about that and can kind of always calculate. Some people are like Eddie Murphy, just naturally talented. Most people have to work at it. Most people need, like, reps. And, uh, you know, stand-up's a tough thing to just pop in and out of but Correct. but if you're doing public speaking that's how I see it like when I have to do a speech it's I try to try to weave in it depends on the, the setting obviously but I try to weave in some jokes I try to tell people I do stand up it, it relaxes people a lot it relaxes a lot of my clients when uh, I'm first talking to them like I'll get straight to people's like diary basically um, when they find out I do stand up because I think they find there's something cathartic or, you know, they can confide in me because I hang out with a bunch of feral cat human beings and, um, you know, like I've, I've heard the, you can't like shock me at all at this point doing this 10 years. So um, let's talk about like you becoming the entrepreneur. Let's, let's reverse engineer it. How you got to, how you got to levity live basically. And, Tell me your let's. What's your story? How'd you get to where you are right now as the CEO of uh, Emerging Media? Yes. Yeah. So this is a long and very winding road. So I would not have thought if you asked me when I was in college if this was where I would be right now. Not in a million years. Um, and you know, I, I I come from an interesting background. I think um, it's a background of paradoxes, and so. My dad is a Holocaust refugee um, from Germany, German Jewish. My mom was in Hitler Youth Corps as a kid. And so, you know, coming from really dispersed backgrounds with very uh, storied histories, meeting here in the United States, you know, refugees, immigrants coming here, and then starting a family together in New York, um, that kind of set me on a path of discovery from a really young age. And, um, as I trotted off to college, I took five languages in high school. I was just ready to get out and explore the world. And um, I knew that I wanted to, um, my path in college was figuring out um, how people tick and um, why they choose the spiritual path that they do. 
And so I became an anthropology and a religion major, and I became very politically motivated. Uh, so I studied abroad in Central America, um, in Costa Rica, I actually lived there for about a year and a half. Um, but my real intention was to take up the fight in Nicaragua. There was a war going on in Nicaragua and El Salvador, and I wanted to be part of it. Um, and so I wound up hitchhiking from Central America to Mexico during those two wars with a couple of friends and um, learned a lot about how to make it on the road in some very difficult circumstances. And strangely, I think it kind of put me on the path of resilience and just getting started, diving in, and um, just going for it. So you, you were fighting some Central American wars going on? What, what did that... Uh... What did that entail? So I'll say that was my intention. And let me tell you, when you actually get to an area that's um, in the midst of a battle, um, you find very quickly how terrifying that is. That romanticized view of like, I want to go in and be a warrior. I want to go in and be a, a fighter uh, changes pretty dramatically. I'm in the Hunger Games. I'm, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and also, it, it and also the consequence. Awesome. Yeah, the consequence of war. You know, when you see the poverty it creates and the dire situations it creates, um, that wound up changing my perspective pretty dramatically. And so, from going to this desire to say I want to, you know, fight for the downtrodden, became I need to find a way to do this peaceably, mm -hmm. and I need to find to do this, find a way to do this in a really productive way. Um, so I came back and I wrote my undergraduate thesis, shifting geographies entirely onto AIDS, prostitution, and tourism in Thailand. I became really fascinated um, by what was going on in Southeast Asia and what was happening with the plight of women. And so um, shortly after leaving college, I wound up working in Southeast Asia, doing um, working in brothels with prostitutes and their johns and mama-sons doing AIDS education. Wow. Wow. So I, I lived in the uh, mountains of northern Thailand doing that work for three years, okay. from 94 to 97. And um, that was really my first exposure to entrepreneurship. Um, because for those women who did not want to participate in the sex trade, um, who wanted to get out, we offered them a way out, which was starting their own small business. And what, what would that be? Would that be like, um, I'm trying to, I, I don't want to stereotype or any of that, but would that be like cleaning? Would that be like, I'm trying to think of like, how do you get from out of there, essentially not having many skills as someone in there? So Maybe you have a yeah. personality, but how do you kind of <laughs> enable them, empower them to kind of get there, get out of that? Right. So, um, if you can imagine yourself in rural northern Thailand on the border with Myanmar, um, where economic resources are scarce and even access to markets are small, um, you start with what you know, which is chicken raising, pig raising, duck raising. You start with agriculture. Um, you start with women pl planting new crops that aren't the typical rice, cabbage, vegetables. Um, so they have a new kind of um, product to bring to market. Um, you can do the traditional handy. This ain't no hipster bullshit, Brooklyn, uh, urban, urban agriculture garbage. Like, they have to come in and bring it in and slaughter it, too. Like, it's not like, oh, this is, <laughs> right. neat. This is a neat little farm we made, you know. Uh, this is, like, still hardcore, you know, very grit-oriented kind of farming. Not, not uh, I've got a, 
I've got a place in uh, Park Slope that, you know, we, we have our own chickens. It's neat. Um, right. I grow wheatgrass in my window. Right. No. <laughs> no. So if you want to see the strangest thing ever, it's this girl from the Bronx trying to teach people in Thai how to raise a pig. Like, <laughs> this was a whole lot of learning for me, too. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, other skills like... Um, secretarial skills, computer skills, things that would allow them to actually leave where they were or bring additional skills to the region that they hadn't seen previously. So, um, and it was also stemming the tide of migration from rural areas to cities because there are no markets for people to tap. So being able to create markets for services that were just beginning, you know, innovating to some degree in those areas. Um, and by the way, some things didn't work at all. Um, we tried beauty parlors, which pretty much quickly turned into massage parlors, which turned back into brothels. So yeah, <laughs> well, there, yeah. there's a lot of trial and error. And But I will say that after three years of working in, in the province and in the 20 um, towns that we were working in, we had zero migration to Bangkok of women becoming sex workers, which was great. Yeah. And uh, do you keep up with the area now? or? Um, so I'm, I'm old. It's been 20 years since I've been there now. Uh-huh. 22 years. I, mean, like, I don't know if there's like you... So I have a friend that a uh, uh, school we support is called uh, Aquila Institute for Women. It's a, it's a self-sufficient high school or middle school, high school, and job placement kind of school for women in Rwanda because the genocides of the 90s. And mm. uh, I had a friend that I knew growing up in Tampa that um, she kind of has dedicated her life, like it sounded like you did, uh, in her 20s and early 30s to go over there and make it happen, make it a real thing. But she kind of has a, a succession plan where, it, or, uh, last I talked to her, I have no idea now, it's been a while because she's all over the world, but I'm uh, trying to raise money. But at a certain point, she was saying, like, you know, the idea is for me to move on uh, from this area. And it might might be to open another one somewhere else where education's important and, and women are really stifled. But um, I didn't know if there was anything like that or you're just like, hey, it's on you. You got it now. Like, this is y'all's village kind of deal. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that is the best kind of development work is, you know, the person with uh, the white face who comes in, you know, to offer support. Um, I know that I got so much more out of it, I think, than I put in it. Um, But I do want to, I think it's so critical to build local leaders who can run those programs um, and, and take it forward because as an anthropologist, which is what wound up becoming my major in college, um, it is critical to build local infrastructure that manages all of this work. Um, the ideas might come from global learning, but the execution in a culturally sensitive and appropriate way has to reside at the local level. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really psyched about the infrastructure that we built there. It wound up including like gem cutting and, you know, it's a very rich area for like rubies and, and emeralds. And so there, there are larger enterprises that are being built there now. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like, people that haven't had a little nudge of help and what they can do, like what frustrates me in the politician kind of race, I, I hate both sides equally, just to be up front. <laughs> um, and uh, I just don't like, I definitely don't like the story of the government's gonna help you. Like the president to me doesn't have a lot. It's not really gonna affect my life a lot and most people's. I think 
you could really argue that we put a lot of energy towards that because it's one person to hate on. Because uh, uh, tell me, I've tried to do this on stage and I can't figure out how to do it. I'm not, po I don't do political humor anyway, but um, sometimes people heckle me or try, try to heckle me, um, <laughs> I should say. And like something will come up about Trump and then I'll just meander into this area. But I'm saying like, what I don't like is that the government's going to take care of anything we're doing. Like, that's not kind of what we're about as a country. Um, and then the other side of that is like, um, uh oh, now my ADD brain just went down tangent. <laughs> and I missed an exit. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where uh, it'll come back to me. Anyway, uh, so let's, uh, I'll reset a little bit. You're, you're coming back from Thailand to where are we going now? And this is 98-ish, yeah. um, 97, 98, as you say? Right. So my desire was to continue to work in healthcare um, and find ways of supporting women in healthcare. So prior to going to Southeast Asia um, and working all over the region, I was at Sloan Kettering working with breast cancer patients. I came back and did outcomes research in the emergency room at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, um, working and then worked at the Centers for Disease Control um, doing AIDS research as an epidemiologist looking at variant and resistant strains of HIV that were coming into the United States and being threat spread through drug resistant st strains to patients all over um, all over the country. I mean, Jesus Christ, no wonder you're doing stand-up. I'm, I'm going down the <laughs> list in my head of all the, like, the things around your life you've been around. Your parents uh, got... <laughs> fled or you know got over the country uh you know by means of like just we got to get the fuck out of here um you were around central america war-torn area um you went to thailand to help uh women that worked in brothels and then you're doing breast cancer research and aids research uh the next thing you're going to tell me is that you worked in a hospice for like puppies <laughs> or something like it's gonna <laughs> Like, do you, no wonder, like, you're, you have to flip around and go, I need to go, I need to go, A, you need to have a good sense of humor to get through all that, uh, be around these kind of subject matters, and then B, like, you know, it, it, it's another thing to go out there and just be like, I need to, I need to get, I need to have another mode of thinking, I'm sure, that's how it is for me a lot of the time, stand-up is a flip of a lot of stuff I'm doing, so, um, anyway, uh, I, so I stopped you, but you're, so right now you're you're doing research, and I'll let you go. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was a that was a phenomenal experience. Um, my first experience being a union worker, getting a union card, working for the government, was pretty excited about that. Um, to be one in solidarity with my fellow workers, mm -hmm. um, I was very excited to be working in really some of the most. Um, exclusive, but also some of the scariest hospitals in New York, some of the most underserved hospitals. So uh, anywhere from Coney Island to Harlem Hospital and, you know, very prestigious um, hospitals too, just seeing the arc of how HIV was impacting the United States. Um, so that was, that was really fascinating until um, I got really tired of working for the government, the regulation, the endless reporting, the, um, you know, not being able to affect change was exhausting. Mm -hmm. And so one day I went on a horrible blind date 
with a senior editor at Forbes magazine who would tell me about these annoying PR people who would email him and call him constantly with these horrible pitch letters. You know, his name was Adam and they would come address dear John (laughs) (laughs) and he would write about internet security and they would be pitching him on (laughs) barbecue.com. And, you know, and so, um, we talked and I thought, Hmm, I think I'd like to do that. (laughs) So that, that lasted, that, that date went absolutely nowhere. It was in the round, the first 15 minutes where he said, yeah, there's no chemistry here. This isn't going to work out. (laughs) What year are we talking here? 1998. Okay. So kind of right after. Okay. So internet 1.0 in full effect. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, AOL discs are still flying around everywhere. My mom, I just got my mom to stop paying for them, uh, <laughs> paying for AOL hours. So I feel like that's a little bit of a win. Uh, for the many things I've taken away from her. <laughs> uh, but okay, so '98, and you're figuring, and now the PR wheels are churning. Where you're like, well, PR doesn't have to be this terrible. I'm guessing, right? right? This is kind of your mindset. So my friend Adam would send me these horrible pitch letters. And in my long trips out to Coney Island Hospital or Harlem Hospital, I would rewrite them on the train. And then we'd get together for a beer and I'd put it in front of him and go, what do you think of that pitch letter? And he'd read it and go, I would write that story. I would write that story for Forbes magazine. And I was like, come on. And he said, really, I would write that story. And so this went on for about six months. And then I couldn't take it anymore working for the government. And I said, I think I want to do this. And he was like, you're doing AIDS research. You're my last altruistic friend on the planet. There's no way I'm going to let you become one of these horrible publicists. <laughs> and I was like, well, you can either introduce me to your least odious PR firm, or I'm going to start sending out my resume. So he made an introduction and two weeks later I got a job offer. Here's and a, that was that. Here's, here's a really important part that you kind of just went fast over is that you did a bunch of work for free for six months and you didn't even know what direction that was going to lead in. Like it sounded like you're like, Oh, Hey, I'm just going to clean this up for my new friend. I mean, it's not like this is an old buddy. You guys are on a blind date, you know, like, and you're like, Hey, I bet I can clean this up. And maybe it's a puzzle. Maybe it's more of like, instead of, it was a curiosity. Yeah. Well, you got to be curious. And even if you, you don't have that naturally, I try to manufacture a little bit of, uh, all right, be more curious about this website code that I don't really want to give a shit about PHP code or JavaScript. Uh, but I need to know enough. I need to be curious enough to be able to explain it to my clients, talk to uh, my developers. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to figure out this puzzle of communication. And then also, it's literally a math puzzle. But um, for you, it's the same thing. It's like, you could have read a book, you could have done a lot of things in that time on the train. Um, and you were doing like, I feel like a lot of people and I'm a lot of people my age, I would say, uh, and I'm not going to guess how old you are, by the way. Um, but I'm saying like a lot of 46. Okay. (laughs) I'm grateful. I think it's a good thing. I, I, I look up to people who've been there i don't i'm not one of these people that's like oh fuck old people and i don't even consider you an old person i'm just saying like people younger than me i want to kind of punch in the throat a little bit uh when they're like old ew um so my thing is like you could have done a lot of things at that time 
you could have just closed your eyes and did nothing uh, on the train or listened on your Walkman to Spice Girls, which was popular at the time. Uh, you can, you could have done a lot of stuff, uh, and you're like, I'm going to figure out this puzzle with my free time, not knowing that it was going to go in that direction. I think that's a really important lesson that I have, I've talked to a lot of people, and they're like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I hate the job I have right now. I want to do this other thing. And I'm like, okay, well, spend 10 hours a week on it in your free time and see to prove it. Do you really like it? You know, like fucking around on Twitter isn't, it doesn't get you closer. It may help you with the knowledge, but you know, go start a blog or go volunteer or go do something in that direction and have kind of a plan. And people are like, man, I already work 50, 60 hours a week. Well, fucking fuck you. So, uh, right. That's what I want to say a lot of the time. It, no one cares. It, <laughs> no one cares. Keyword there, right? I mean, when I was working in Thailand, it was 60 hours a week, you know, hiking up mountains sometimes to reach hill tribe villages. And my gross monthly pay was $300 a month. Pretty dope. Pretty dope. Pretty, well, it's pretty dope when your breakfast is a quarter and your dinner is 80 cents. <laughs> bitching about TaskRabbit and Uber and whatnot, uh, you can, especially now, now I'm going to go on like a weird rant, but I'm saying like, bring it, you can, <laughs> you can go on Upwork and do a bunch of shit digitally. You can, you can drive, if you have a shitty car now, Uber used to have standards. It doesn't even care anymore. It's just like, yeah, does it work? Okay. Don't bother us. You can work for us. Uh, you know, like you can do, there's so many freelancing jobs out there to support the supplement the thing you want to do if you don't have that full-time gig and i i i mean i talk to comedians all the time they're like man i'm fucking broke can't do anything i'm like fuck you get go <laughs> you could there's and they're all flexible it, it's like you could be a free you could be a writer on upwork you could drive uber you could uh you could be a, a mover on TaskRabbit or whatever it's TaskRabbit's not here but it's, I know people who stood online for a cronut for someone on tax <laughs> task rabbit. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a two-hour line. Just stand in line and wait for my cronut. That I mean, that is that's like Diddy <laughs> or something. Make it happen. <laughs> um, but that's my thing of like, I, I don't, I, I don't, I just want to make sure that part's not ignored because that is a thing that I'm sure you've kind of always been doing it that way, but. It's very easy to be lazy. Again, on the other side, you have Netflix, Hulu on your phone. You know, you could, you could watch HBO Go all the time. There's more distractions than ever, but it, you know, you gotta figure out how to artificially manufacture that. And it sounds like you have that kind of that drive already to be like, I'm gonna just figure this out because I know it's in a good direction. That's yes. Not a question. <laughs> Sometimes That's a statement, I, and I'm going to agree. With, I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> um, but okay, so so uh, let's go back to the for, your Forbes buddy is like, don't leave. You're the only nice person I know. Um, <laughs> I Gotham, and Batman's Gotham for some reason. Um, <laughs> you're the only nice person I know. What? And then you're like, I'm going to start my own PR firm, or how did this go? I'm going to go work for an agency. Like, so hook me up with one that doesn't make you throw up, you know, introduce me to someone. And, um, so he introduced me to three PR firms and, um, I chose one. I, I knew that I wanted to get involved in technology. I felt like this internet thing was passing me by at, at the, um, 
at the CDC, I shared an AOL connection with three other epidemiologists. So I would have to wait for someone else to log off before I could log on. Um, that was the uh, extent of internet that we had. So you'd write 15 emails and then you'd wait till your colleague was done using the internet. And then you go, are you done, Cindy? Okay. And then you'd hit send when you got access to the internet. We shared it. Um, I do it on and- purpose now. I do, I go off, <laughs> seriously, I go offline emails and I just write, I write, I go offline, write them all. Cause if something comes, I know how bad my ADD is. So like if emails start popping in, I'll be like, what's that? And I'll be like, okay. <laughs> and then, so what I've started to do, cause if I go on a plane, I'll, I'll zero out my emails, no problem. And I'll be more organized. So I started mm. like I'm on a flight that I didn't get Wi-Fi for or Southwest flight or something. Smart. And so I, I don't know if that's so bad, you know, um, anyway, go on. There was a lot of waiting for Cindy. Like, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done? So there's a lot of lack of productivity going on waiting for Cindy too. No, um, Cindy's the worst. Uh, yeah. It's the worst. So, <laughs> so then, um, I wound up getting this job at a small boutique PR firm that was solely focused on tech and tech startups. And I fell madly in love. And I realized that I had found my calling. And I I thought that all this other work that I had been doing, helping women and so forth, was was it. But I was wrong. Um, It's not to say I didn't enjoy it. But when I found that thing that I was really like in my flow, in my lane, that I didn't want to stop working. And so my day started at 8.30 in the morning. I many times didn't leave the office till 12.31 at night because I just didn't want to stop. And that was an experience I had never had before. And I didn't know that I would be passionate about this thing called PR. I had never heard of it. I didn't know what a press release was when I was at the CDC. I didn't know. Um, And these tech founders who were real entrepreneurs who had a dream that believed, you know, there were often two guys from MIT who had created some box that they thought was going to change the world. Mm-hmm. And nothing made me happier than trying to make their dream come true. And I was going to get in the trenches and I was going to fight with them until I could get them that article in the Wall Street Journal, that piece in the New York Times or Fast Company or a whole host of magazines like Red Herring and the Industry Standard and publications that don't even exist anymore um, that would make or break them, would help them boost the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that would help boost the valuation of their of their businesses before their next venture capital meeting or their next pitch. Um, so I just I felt like I was in the trenches with them every day, and I just loved it. I just loved it. I couldn't get enough of it until that fateful day on nine eleven, when my biggest client, a company called Akamai, which at the time had had the fourth largest IPO in Wall Street history. The founder of that company, a guy named Danny Lewin, um, was in the plane that hit the World Trade Center. Hmm. And he was our biggest client. He was my boss's best friend. He, um, he had kind of made our little agency into what it was. And um, we missed him terribly, and everything shifted on that day. It was my boss who had taught me everything I knew about PR um, decided he had lost the taste for doing it. He had lost his best friend. And most surprisingly about that, Danny Lewin was in the Israeli army and was trained as a sky marshal. 
Um, and so it was his job to ride around on LL planes and keep an eye out for potential terrorists on commercial flights. And so we all believed in the office that there was no way that Danny would have let that plane go down without putting up a fight. And so one of my first tasks, in fact, all of our tasks in the office after 9-11 was to actually draft Danny's obituary for the Wall Street Journal as one of the first casualties of 9-11. And he was the first tech casualty, certainly, of 9-11. This did get heavier. Um, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So, you know, typically a big event like that, you know, it's going to pivot everybody. Um, uh, where, where did that take you after having to, having to write that is not a fun group think activity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so let me tell you what life was like on September 12th. I was the only person who showed up to work the next day. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> um, I didn't know what to do after a terror attack, certainly, and work seemed like a very comforting place. Now I was an established workaholic, so that was the place I really wanted to be. Um, I got a call from my client at the time, National City Bank, which would later be acquired by PNC Bank. It was the 11th largest bank in the country. And they said, we want to donate a million dollars. Find out where to send it. Write a press release. So I was calling Oral, all the organizations I could find, and we settled on the Red Cross, and that was my first task on September 12th. Um, my next task was there was figuring out this obituary and getting started on that. I turned on CNN, and I heard Mayor Giuliani say, um, we can't let them win. We need to go back to being New Yorkers as normal. We need to go back and support our community, our our retail spaces. And I, all I heard was that. And I walked to the, the Swatch store and bought two plastic watches. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but I needed to do that. Yeah. And then following that, I walked up to one of the most famous delis in New York called Zabar's. And I bought one of those airport-sized Toblerones, which I proceeded to eat mercilessly until it was gone. And at, at that moment, I got a call from a guy who I knew from college who said, I'm just calling around to all the people that I know. I just wanted to see if you were alive. Mm -hmm. And I was, and we wound up talking for another hour. Mm -hmm. And that gentleman wound up becoming my husband oh. on September many five years later in September. But so that when you ask what happened after 9-11 for me, absolutely everything shifted. And it would become the beginning of my boss saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And nine months after that took place, my boss decided he would close the agency. He just didn't have the taste for it anymore. Couldn't imagine doing it without his best friend as a client. And said, came to me and said, would you like to buy the agency for me? And I said, how much? And he said, $1 million. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I said, well, that's... <laughs> Even with that movie reference? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I and I said, well, you cut my paycheck. Obviously, you know I don't have a million dollars to spend. Yeah. And he said, don't worry about it. Just pay me $100,000 a year for the next 10 years and we're all set. And I said, I can't keep a boyfriend for three months. I really don't intend on paying you $100,000 for the next 10 years. Yeah. So he decided to close it. We called our clients together, the ones I was managing, and 
um, they came back to me and said, why don't you open your own agency and we'll follow you. And in a million years, I had never thought about opening my own business. Never once. Never occurred to me. So NYPR closed on a Friday and Lotus PR opened on a Monday in September, September 19th. And that would be the beginning of very many impactful Septembers for me. Um, and that was 15 years ago, 14 years ago. Well, I mean, that, God, the story keeps, your story keeps winding into it. Like, I see some memoirs in your future, but uh, <laughs> a, a good one, not one of the airport book, airport uh, book store ones. Um, I guess, I guess. Uh, I've only got a few minutes because I can see some emergency client stuff coming in from my Slack notifications on my desktop. But That's scary. Well, I mean, what? Uh, the good thing about doing stand-up is I can kind of, I can kind of tell if it's bullshit or not. But you know, you treat as if. Plus, you know, we're we're rounding at about forty-five minutes, which is usually where we 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 go about forty-five to an hour. But how would you get from that Monday? in that uh, September, what year are we talking? Uh, as Lotus. 2002. As Lotus to to where uh, emerging media is right now. And what, yeah. is, what does emerging media do? Uh, what, throw out some plugs. Like, we this show has about 75% of the people listening are people that want to get out of what they're doing. Another 25%, I'd, I'd guess, is probably people, is small business owners or um, entrepreneurial friends of mine and uh, people I've come across. So, you know, make sure, <laughs> I'm bad at this, so make sure you let the audience know, like, what y'all are about. Because, yeah. you know, Kayla, if it's, if you're, uh, your, your uh, employees in the, in the indication she was so on top of this. That's how we got together. Um, you know, that always goes from the top down. So, um, and I, I can, I already have a couple of ideas for you, uh, for some of my people. So uh, Great. We'll, we'll, we'll throw that together later. But, um, so yeah, how do you go from Lotus to emerging and what is it? Yeah. So, um, we rebranded, um, which lots of companies kind of come to us for now, um, as a transition because we realized public relations was too narrow. A conversation. And we recognized that social media was going to be the bomb, but we knew that it wasn't going to be the end all. You know, as things evolve, they are emerging forms of media. And so we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves to just social either. So we rebranded. And the other thing that we created was this thing called the Connect Four strategy, which was understanding that without a really proper brand and messaging foundation, Everything else is a house of cards. So we created this connect for that starts with what I call my branthropologist approach. Like I use all the learnings of anthropology to understand how to attack the an ecosystem of customers, partners, venture capital, um, influencers in the industry, and cementing that foundation, and then incorporating with that PR, marketing, and social media to really blow the doors off. And the last thing is we only work with disruptive companies. So companies that are really setting out to change the world, their industry, the way things get done. Otherwise, it's a really boring story to tell for an also ram. And I'm not interested in telling those stories. So those are the clients that we work with. We only bring on 10 clients a year. 
work with them very closely and we help them get from zero to like hyper growth acquisition or IPO. That's our model. Um, and the last thing is, you know, just in, in terms of time for those com- for those folks out there who are interested in making a shift, I just want to offer myself as an example of the ability to like, don't not do what you love. Keep moving forward until you find that thing that you love. And I will say that after 15 years of running my agency, which I still adore doing, there's a part of me now that says, I want to give back. And so I'm dedicating a huge chunk of time, maybe even like this whole year of finding ways to share what we've learned at emerging media and working with disruptive companies, work like sharing all the mistakes that we've made working with disruptive companies. Um, and I'm just traveling in the U.S. and around the world sharing what we've learned. So I just gave a keynote to 5,000 people in Poland at the InfoShare conference, like maybe the biggest tech conference in Central Europe. And I'm heading off on another speaking tour to Germany and France talking um, to small businesses and, and entrepreneurs and large corporations like PwC and Deutsche Bank and big accelerators in France and Germany about how to do great storytelling for disruption, how to create a seven-day PR plan that I would do for my own clients. Now you can have it for free. Um, How to do great messaging and things like that. I just want to share what we've done because it's no good holding it all to yourself. Yeah, um, you know, we're going to be shifting myself in a similar fashion in more of that speaker role, strategy Mm. role. um, And yeah, maybe off-air we'll... um, I'll go over some of the stuff we're doing over here that's very similar internally because, uh, you know, we sponsor a thing called Fuck Up Nights. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. It's like, it's, like a real, it's like real talk TED Talk, basically. And so <laughs> once I heard about it, I love it. That's stepbrother talks. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, it's... It's, uh, it's Fred Talks, not Ted Talks. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I heard the idea and I was like, I get it, I love it. I thought it was something local here. It's something around the world. It actually started wow. in Mexico. Yeah. Um, and it, it's one of those things where entrepreneurs get up and they talk about how they, they fucked up. And I learned way more from that. Uh, <laughs> it kind of may have dovetailed into this podcast a little bit. I can't remember what was first, but um, we sponsor that now and I host it with another comedian buddy of mine and um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff there too, uh, similarity wise, but uh, just, just for the audience sake, what, what would be a disruptor? What would be that, what would be that, um, kind of company? I'm guessing more of that disintermediation kind of company, uh, uh someone that comes in the, com- comes into the marketplace that you didn't see coming like an Uber, Airbnb or Turo, uh, rental cars, which is, I want to try that out. Mm. Um, because renting a car is re- ridiculous, but um, what, uh, are those that are those the kind of tech companies you're you're looking at? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you spoke of a um, a client of ours, um, iOffice, right? I mean, I think uh, Elizabeth is so beautifully understated, but the what they are doing to the office space is total. Ooh, we lost you. drawings and excel spreadsheets to manage thousands sometimes hundreds of thousands of people 
Like you cannot believe that that's happening. Um, and so the way that they've been able to do what they do in the cloud, 10 simple modules is it's a game changer. Um, so other companies that we've worked with, um, you know, who I would consider huge disruptors, a company like Sprinkler, for example, um, they are the back end of all social media for the biggest Fortune 500 companies around the world. Um, they make so that they make it so that every social media channel that a corporation uses um, can talk with one another. That the social media teams from Brazil, Italy, Russia can figure out what's working and what's not working, and post in real time and respond in real time. Um, we like working a lot in the e-commerce space. There's a company out of Israel um, that has finally nailed how to do influencer marketing in a way that no one else is doing at the micro level. So rather than paying Kim Kardashian $15,000 or $40,000 for one tweet, it's really identifying and getting the metrics around who moves the needle in a market, not a random person with 40 million followers. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I had a similar conversation with another company similar to that. So we'll definitely have to share notes one day. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I could talk to you for hours, honestly, because your, your story is super interesting. Um, anything, where can people find you, follow you? Please. Yeah. So, um, I love LinkedIn and I think a lot of business owners forget about how powerful LinkedIn is. So find me on, um, on LinkedIn, Susan Lindner. Um, I like Twitter, but I find that I make real relationships. We're all about getting incredibly connected. I, I find it better on Facebook, to be honest. I can have an actual conversation. I don't want something um, that's just limiting me to 140 characters. Um, so you can find us on Emerging Media or Susan Linder. Either way, look forward to meeting lots of your fans. And um, let me know if you want some lady insights on fucking up with entrepreneurs, because I would be grateful to share some of those major fuck-ups. We'll have to get you down in Tampa for the fifth one. Uh, know, the next one's in the 31st, but we're going to keep doing it maybe once a quarter. So maybe we'll figure out how to get you down here. And, uh, well, yeah, or maybe I'll host one up here and you guys yeah. can come up here. We'll Let's get you on Levity Live. Let's do it there. That'd be awesome. I'll get, uh, I'll get Sam Tripoli to figure out how to get over there too. My buddies from the area. Yeah. Comic. But yeah, let's, let's figure it out. Um, there are a vast number of fuck-ups here in New York. We're here, happy to share. Uh, well, I'll, I'll debate you. I'm in Florida, so I'll debate you. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have people fighting alligators here. Um, that's a life uh, uh, Yeah, but uh, this is a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on, and I uh, appreciate you taking out time you know, during the day to do this. And, uh, She's a rock star. I'm just a roadie. Hey, that's great. <laughs> Amen. Thanks so much, Law. Bye.